Hey there, and welcome to the Every Woman's Story with Stonecroft podcast, where every woman has an invitation to sit at Jesus's table, and we hope you'll discover your story and your purpose as together we look at God's story. So I'm your host, Naomi Kramer Overton, and I am the president of Stonecroft Ministries, and also, gosh, I'm a mom of four, and I am a midlifer who lives in multiple cities and never knows quite where she can grow a houseplant. And I love seeing myself and others just discover our truest and best stories. So my co-host is Elisa Cortez-Bass. Elisa, tell us about yourself. Um, yes, thank you, Naomi. Um, I'm also a mom and a wife and currently reside in the Midwest. Um, I've had the privilege of serving as a pastor and an executive, um, but most importantly, as a mentor and a friend. I am passionate about pursuing Jesus and pursuing people, um, and especially developing emerging leaders. So we're so glad you joined us today. Yay. Yay. Yes, and we have as our special and featured guest today, Vivian Mabuni. And before I give you like the official word on Vivian and read her bio, I'll try to make it sound like I'm not reading, right? I want to just tell you about my personal experience of Vivian. I got to know Vivian through a recent event that we were part of together. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when you go to events, can you kind of tell like who's really in with their heart and who's just showing up to share their words well, Vivian is a woman who is in with her heart, and she just set herself apart as somebody who wanted to get to know the women who were at the conference and really wanted to be part of the exciting things that we saw happening there. So I am endeared to her, and I can't wait to get to know her more in person uh, near where each of us will, um, well, where I will soon be spending more of my time in California. So Vivian, let me tell you about Vivian. First of all, hey, Vivian, Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yay. Vivian is a national speaker, author, Bible teacher, and podcast host. Her writing has appeared in Christianity Today, She Reads Truth, Our Daily Bread, Propel Sophia, and her teachings have been featured on the YouVersion Bible app's verse of the day. With over 30 years on staff with Crew, which is a Christian ministry, Viv loves teaching about the Bible and its practical applications to ministry and life. She's been a keynote speaker at If Gathering, Q Commons, Crew Winter Conferences, Family Life's Weekend to Remember, and Biola University. She's the author of Open Hands, Willing Heart, and she also serves on the Board of Trustees for Denver Seminary and is the founder and host of Someday is Here, a podcast for AAPI, which stands for Asian American Pacific Islander Leaders. Viv, like I, we both love drinking coffee. I also know Elisa loves drinking coffee. Uh, so together, the three of us love coffee. And uh, in addition to that, she uh, loves her husband of 30 years, Darren, and marveling at their three young adult kids. And you can find her on Instagram or Twitter at Viv Mabuni or on her website at VivianMabuni.com. So there you go. That's the official word on Vivian. But Vivian, we're <laughs> We're going to start with some stories. That's what we do on this podcast. We talk about our stories and we talk about God's story and how the two intersect. So the first thing I want to ask you about is kind of, um, you had to think back and tell us what I call a spark story, like a moment where you went, yes, yes, that's me. That is more of who I think God sees me as and who I can see myself as. And just tell us a little bit about where you felt like you were sparking into your purpose 
in a new way. Can you tell us that story? Sure. Um, I don't remember clearly, but it is said that when I was about four years old, this is back when things were safer, probably I was out walking my dog. And um, after a while, the dog returned home. And then my mom started wondering where I was. And then a police car pulled up and I jumped out of the back seat. And apparently during this walk, I overheard a birthday party <laughs> and I joined it. <laughs> and then um, the mom was serving cake and looked and was like, who's this little Asian girl? And I knew my address. So she called the police and they picked me up and took me home. So that is my little spark story, which I think encompasses uh, several things about me but that I look back on now, which is I love a good party. <laughs> I, I, I love meeting people and um, celebrating. Celebration is big. Um, so, and we'll get into it more as we talk about the article, but there's something pretty significant as well in that particular story. But that's my, my story. My hashtag would be celebrate good times. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh I love that. <laughs> Well, and I think what, what feels so exciting about that, Vivian, is just, just that idea that a party is a place where people belong, you know? And so I hear that so much when I read um, some of your content and the stories you put out is that, well, there's like an open door, like everybody's welcome at this table. So why not like let the dog find his way home and then just join the party? Absolutely. I think about even how in the Old Testament people celebrated, like in First Kings, after the, the temple is finally built. And, you know, everyone's really poured in their, their heart and their resources. And it's such a time of celebration. And they literally, I looked it up. It was like the bringing together people, they, they had like a week long continuous celebration. I just think, oh, I look forward to heaven. I think heaven is going to be an, a giant um, potluck of all the different flavors and textures and tastes and just unhurried conversation forever and ever. Amen. I love that. I love that. It's um, what well, enchanted me about you as well as, you know, when I was reading up on you preparing for today, um, I love, um, I am also like a plant killer. Like I try so hard to make things stay alive. And I just, when everybody brings me a plant, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be so amazing for like a month. Like I love this month long gift. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm just curious, you know, it was, it was so good to read, like, what makes you come alive and the things like a plant that are like, no, thank you. But like, <laughs> tell us, like, what makes you, like, how do we know, like, you know, Vivian's firing in all cylinders? Like, is it, mm. is it an outfit? Is, is it like people you're around? Like, what makes, we know you, you're having your day. What does that look like? Mm, I love this question. Um, and I have to say, uh, there has been a change in my life where I am able to keep plants alive I think this happened this is a miracle this is this is evidence that miracles still do happen in the present um and 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 so I have plants that are still living like years later now I mean I can say years because the pandemic had, you know I mean what is time anymore but to me it's so hope-filled because to me it says that we can learn new skills and it doesn't end with just a declaration. So I may never be good at accounting and numbers and administrative things. Like I, I, I don't think that that will ever help me to feel alive, but where I do feel alive is um, any, any setting where I'm teaching, 
I love teaching. I love teaching um, brand new believers and opening up the scriptures with them for the very first time and helping them to know that the two dots mean chapter and verses and helping them to find where the passages are in the scriptures. That is just like one-on-one over coffee, um, opening the word. That is thrilling to me. And there's something that uh, when, when God delivers us, delivers us from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous um, kingdom of light, he infuses in all of us spiritual gifts and we discover them as we minister uh, and they get confirmed as we continue to minister with people expressing like this was really, really helpful. And so teaching for me, I experience that zone, whether it's one-on-one or small group or auditoriums of people, there's something that just feels like I'm, I'm in step with the spirit. And it's so much more not about my words, but if people are understanding what's being taught. And so uh, it's, I, it, I can't find anything that's more thrilling than doing that. And so that can be looking like I'm wearing my jacket, which is my latest new favorite thing, which is like a jacket shirt thing with pockets. And I wear that everywhere. So it's super comfy, or it could be like, high heels and a really cool blazer and, you know, with my hair curled. So uh, it the setting isn't is as important as the content of what I'm teaching. Wow. Um, so on this plant thing, you know, <laughs> I am beginning to think that plants are a litmus test of life and not Elisa's life, because maybe that's just the way her life is meant to be. I love them for a <laughs> month and then they leave my life. Um, but yeah, I'm just relating to this plant thing. So I used to love and take great pride in my orchids and how I could, um, it, I, I did many, many, many years of failing with orchids. And then I found some simple things that nobody tells you that really help orchids and including <laughs> one of my coworkers did a dance that showed me how orchids were attached to a tree and their roots needed to be bare because they were in the rainforest and they had to have winds. And I thought, okay, I will never forget that. And it will always change the way I take care of my orchids. And um, now that I am in a stage of life where I, well, such as a stage, I just have a lot of things changing in my life where I literally cannot live in any one long one place long enough to take care of a plant. I'm beginning to think maybe our question, like one of our questions of our series today, as you said, celebrate life, I believe was your hashtag. Is that right, Vivian? Celebrate good times. Celebrate good times. Okay. I I would add celebrate life. That would be another great hashtag. I 100% agree with that one. We we could go to ask our houseplants if they are celebrating good times or not. And mine right now would say, no, you kicked me to the curb. I know. I used to apologize to the plant. I would just receive the plant graciously. And I would just say, I'm so sorry. This is your best day. (laughs) And, And then honestly, I think the secret for me was not overwatering and only watering the plant when the dirt was dry, like not like dry, dry, like, but that has been a game changer for me because I realized how much I had like well-meaning overwatered and that caused the root damage that eventually led to death. But, you know, succulents require different things than the fern, which, you know, so there's, there are a lot of incredible spiritual principles for sure to be learned in plants. But I think that the, the little glimmer of hope was that, Yes, you can learn new skills. Yes, which goes back to your gift of teaching, 
And I want to know how you came. Okay. Your four-year-old story of joining the party, which is adorable. <laughs> I don't know if you'd been, like, if you'd been a guest at my mom's party, if we were at the same party together, I would hope she wouldn't have called the police. That's all I know. I know. I know. <laughs> really frightening. What is going a little on? girl to get in the back of a police car, but all right, whatever. Um, but I have noticed as I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I once did a study of the Bible of who are the women who are engaged really powerfully in mm -hmm. God's story and in mm -hmm. what God's purposes are and what do they have in common. Yeah. And I found not only for the women, but also for the men that there was this cool principle of what I call believe and belong and then become. Mm -hmm. And um, this um, principle where they they got reminded of who God is. Mm -hmm. And that was the believe part that belong. They often somebody else kind of encouraged them and said, you can do this, you know, mm -hmm. I'll do it with mm -hmm. you. or I believe it with you. And then they became more of who God had originally designed them to be mm -hmm. and who they could be for not only their own enjoyment and good, but for the good of others. So yeah, yeah. you fascinate me. First of all, I know that for people who love teaching and I know Elise is an incredible teacher too, that you guys probably think everybody loves teaching and everybody's a great teacher because that's the way we are when we're gifted at something, right? We're like, it's easy for everyone. Okay, friends, I have taught twice. Um, and I, <laughs> they weren't airplane crashes, but they were enough to teach me that I do not enjoy teaching. Okay, there you go. And I'm not talking speaking, speaking's fine, but teaching, not fun. So not fun for me. So you had to go on some journey, some maybe believe, belong, become journey, Vivian, to figure out what your story and God's story looks like. So can you tell me what got you there? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's so interesting because I agree there is a difference between speaking and teaching and, um, you know, for the listener, there, there is a... An, and in the same way with writing, like I'm an author, but I consider myself a speaker who writes rather than a writer who speaks. Um, my lead foot is not the writing, but what actually is motivating about writing is if I'm able to teach a, a principle, there's a, there's a reason. And uh, that I think ties back into our spiritual gifts, you know, that there, there's something else that's supernatural about what's happening um, in that process. So for me, um, I had become a Christian in high school, did not grow up in a Christian home, culturally Buddhist home, uh, sat next to a friend who uh, started glowing. And I found out that she had become a Christian and uh, I placed my trust in Christ and then tried to live the Christian life in my own efforts and failed miserably and felt frustrated. And then um, I was, my dad goes through midlife crisis, moves our entire family to Hong Kong right before my senior year of high school. So that was traumatic and frustrating and so, so painful at that age, especially having had kids be that age and realizing from a different vantage point, like that was a big deal. Uh, however, God used this Hong Kong experience for me to first of all, surrender control of my life to Jesus. Uh, that was a marker point for me. Like that was where it was like, I'm all in, I'm holding nothing back, whatever you say. That I believe unleashed God's spirit to begin to lead and direct. And the scriptures came alive and prayers were being answered. And it was so evident that God is real and intimate in all of our lives. So that was the beginning. Uh, really, I think those pieces are 
um, the initial, like the prelude to even being able to discover our spiritual gifts, I think is really to live surrendered to Jesus. Um, and then as I was surrendered to Jesus, then the Lord was opening these doors. And so I had opportunity to, to, um, to lead a little Bible study and I would be in the Bible and these scriptures would come out and I would meet up with the youth pastor. And he's like, do you have a commentary? Like, how did you find these verses? And I'm like, what's a commentary? Like, I didn't even know, but it was so evident that God's spirit was directing me and the things that I was learning in real time, I was able to transfer to somebody else. And so those little, little um, seedlings were taking root and starting to fruit out. Uh, and then as each opportunity came up, um, the, the yes to God uh, led to other things. And as I look through the scriptures, I see that um, some of the inspiring women to me are teachers. And I think of Priscilla, who's a married to Aquila, and she had uh, leadership gifts as well as teaching gifts. And she was um, a strong woman. And, you know, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but part of me wishes it's a woman. You know, I just, I just think that would be so cool that there's, you know, and there's, there's no way to, to fully prove it, but we know that we don't know. We, what we know is we don't know who wrote um, Hebrews, but in my heart, it's like, I wish it, I, I kind of hope it's Priscilla because I think she was an incredibly gifted teacher and she was a great uh, teammate with her husband as well. And I think that that was significant. So she's the one that resonates with me as of late the most, um, as far as just a woman that I look forward to meeting one day to learn more from um, at that banqueting table one day when we eat all the food. And celebrate good times. <laughs> yes, celebrate. Okay, there we go. I'm going to stop that now for the good of all. And <laughs> so, the um, one thing that I was just reflecting on in your article, which I know we'll get into more in a little bit, is the piece that you wrote is you also really looked at Hagar, mm -hmm. and um, and I'm thinking, and you really pulled out kind of that same pattern how she believed in a God who maybe she didn't think had noticed her before. Yeah. And then there were, you know, a couple different talks with God and Hagar between the two of them, but she actually went back to relationships that weren't her desire. Wouldn't have been my desire either to go back to someone who was being harsh to me. Um, and yet she ended up becoming this mother of a nation really. Yeah. And um, so I think that's fascinating too. And yeah, Priscilla's fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's, there's some stuff I've learned about on her that I'm like, really? Um, really, you know, the, how Paul spoke to her was really as, uh, you know, as the leader of the house churches that she was involved in. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. 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 Woman of substance. So mm -hmm. for me, so in all of this, kind of as a as backstory, I grew up, uh, so podcast listeners may not may not be able to tell Vivian Mabuni. Mabuni is an Okinawan name, a last name, um, but I'm ethnically Chinese. So my parents were born in China. They fled to Taiwan when the Japanese invaded um, and then uh, rebuilt their lives. And then they um, immigrated to the U.S. as uh, graduate students. So they kind of came through the education route. So I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, one of a handful of Asian Americans. So the story of Hagar is significant to me because even that story of the birthday party, like the reason why the mom noticed was that I'm an Asian, like 
you know, who's this little Asian girl? Um, so there's a part of me that's like wants to be in the parties and also is very cognizant that I don't look like everyone around me. And I've always wanted to find someone who looks like me. And even as a Bible teacher and as a conference speaker in the year of our Lord, 2022, I am still having people come up to me for the first time, generally in tears, saying, you are the first woman I have ever heard teach main stage or, you know, speak or preach at a church or whatever. Like I've had that. I can count at least five times this calendar year that it's happened with different people who've taken great effort to even come or have me introduce, you know, be introduced to their children so that their children could see someone who looked like them. So that, that the other hashtag for me throughout my life and story is representation matters. And that's where uh, it's easy when no one looks like me to feel very invisible. And in that way, I think my heart resonates with Hagar. And in this, you know, in Genesis, when we're, we're hearing Abram and Sarai talk about Hagar, they never call her by name. They just refer to her as your servant, my servant. They don't even call her by name. So when she runs away and into the desert thinking she's going to die and, you know, God comes after her and calls her by name, says, Hagar, Hagar, where are you going? What are you doing? Um, she has a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the God of the universe. And that is mind blowing to me, uh, that kind of intimacy, that kind of care. Uh, and it mattered. It absolutely mattered. And God's intent from the very beginning was that the whole world would know and worship him. And so that includes all people in all places in all time. And so Hagar as an Egyptian woman was absolutely welcomed into the kingdom of God um, and has a purpose and a place as well. So those are some of the reasons why, you know, that writing in particular was so meaningful to me. What I love about that is, um, you know, here in the space where you hear, where you hear Hagar um, being called by name by the Lord, that she also gives God a name as well, the God who sees in that space. And so there's this like honoring in the middle of that, that happens that is so unique in that story. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. And that, and, and in my understanding, I think she's the only one that gives God a name. God reveals himself in all the different ways. I am, you know, uh, Jehovah Jireh, or whatever, but it's like Hagar actually gives God a name and he is, receives it and goes by it, which to me is mind blowing that in that day and time, Hagar was the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Like she had no rights, no resources, no money, no title, nothing that would in the world system cause her to be able to sit with the God of the universe and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I mean, that is just so like our God, you know, I just, yeah. you know, his ways are not our ways. What I, what I feel is super powerful in that too. And I think about, you know, the, the women in particular who are um, listening is that, you know, we have Hagar who feels like she's at the bottom, at the bottom of the bottom and God still meets her there. And what I hear a lot in your story, Vivian, um, so I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, so as a Latina, I'm in a lot of spaces where I'm the only of something, you know, and mm -hmm. the only woman, only um, person of my heritage. And 
you know, this, this idea of like having to prove yourself in that space. And so even just reading your story, just reading a person is like, I'm excelling at all the things that should give me a voice and should give me a space. And I'm, I'm pushing hard and I'm refining um, the what's good in me, what's naturally good in me and where I'm gifted and still trying to figure out like, when is somebody going to pull out the chair and invite me to the table? Yeah. And so I think about that, even in for Hagar, just feeling like, okay, there was no space for her at the table. Mm-hmm. Like she had been, she had been used in, in, in this space, you know, and then God gave her a very special seat for a very special conversation. Um, I would just love to hear a little bit more about that, about um, you know, how you feel those things intersect and just for the women um, and our other leaders who might be listening who are just like, yeah, I've been there where I've been at the grind and I'm, you know, I, I faithfully walk to the front and still feel unseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's there, I think that I do have friends that genuinely uh, being seen doesn't really matter. Like not in a, I mean, they just really are fine. Like they, that's not, uh, it's not been a, a motivation per se. So whether it's personality or um, yeah, just how people are wired. So there are, I think incredibly faithful women um, who are, doing God's work. And it's, this is not that important to them because they are focused on other things, but there are women where this is important. And for whether it's, you know, how we grew up or being the only, or however it is, I think that that can play into the importance of that. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that I am really, um, grateful for, uh, the sheroes of the faith that have gone before us. Um, I think when I sit with my black sisters, they have names that, I mean, I was just at an event where um, a woman who's a historian was talking about black women who were theologians back in the beginning of the, even before um, the declaration of independence was signed. I mean, just, a remarkable women who came through over time. And I just think I'm still looking for the Asian sheroes. I know that they're there, but uh, we also had the Chinese Exclusion Act in the United States. And for from 1882 till really 1946, I believe, or something like that, Chinese were not allowed to immigrate to the United States. So there's just this lack of um, real... Uh, leadership in heroes, you know, so part of what's motivating is, um, gosh, being in those seats where it's like, you know, I've never seen an Asian American here or there or there. um, And being willing to step in when it's uncomfortable to say, okay, um, if I'm going to be the first, I do want to do well, so that more can come. And to normalize that Asian Americans can do all the things and not just only speak on anti-Asian hate crime, which is something that we're all experiencing um, those fears, but it's more than just social justice that we can teach the Bible and we can, we don't, it's not um, limited to only being placed in spaces where we have to speak of our Asian-ness per se. So it's like, I'm a cancer survivor and the cancer has marked me, but it doesn't define me. So I can absolutely teach out of that space of having 
gone through chemotherapy and all of those things, but it's not the whole of who I am. And in the same way that there's more to me than my Asian-ness, but it will absolutely inform how I teach and even how I study the scriptures and my values and my culture. Uh, those are all really important and valuable contributions that the body of Christ misses out on when we don't have that representation. So those are some of the things, I don't know if any of it's making sense, but I'm just kind of pulling in all the different pieces. So I, I didn't expect to have a story that intersected with yours, but as we have been, I mean, generally, yeah, I really like you and I'm like looking forward to getting to know you more, but oh my goodness, Vivian, I want to explore something with you that yeah. your story has um, evoked of my own story. Um, so we have people who participate in this podcast and the accompanying, you know, website who are women from literally every continent on the planet, except, except Antarctica. But you know, the funnest thing is I know some people who are traveling to Antarctica and I'm thinking about arranging for them to do something for this, you know, the website or the podcast while they're in Antarctica. And then we can say, including Antarctica. A flag. Um, <laughs> yes. Plant a little flag there for the every woman's story with Stonecroft podcast. Anyway. Okay. So this also has the question to go back to Hagar, but then also to modern times and women from different cultures. And I don't mean in the United States, I mean, cultures in different parts of the nation, the world and how we enter in. So really Hagar, when we talk about that believe, belong, become pattern, yes, she was instructed to go back and be part of, you know, Sarah's household, but that wasn't an encouraging space for her, you know, to, um, so she's really in some ways super remarkable mm -hmm. that she responded to the believe part to who God said he was and God and who she was, um, and then became and obeyed and did the things, you know? Um, so I had an experience like this, that your story brought back to mind and it was not with someone from the American culture. It was, was some, I was also the only woman, um, in a con in all my seminary cohorts, I have a doctorate, um, and in intercultural studies. And as part of that, my seminary cohorts were generally people from all over the world. Mm. And in one of the cohorts I was part of, um, almost all of the men were from Asia. Mm. And um, I'll just tell you the story, but then I wanna know what, do you, what would you say to a woman who encounters this kind of experience as part of her culture? Mm. And she doesn't have the belonging thing like Hagar didn't have. Okay. So we were gathering for our first in-person time and we'd all done our readings and we'd all done our writings. And the night before we were supposed to attend our first class together, another um, seminary student and I hosted a meal at, um, at the, the place where we were going to be meeting. <laughs> so I guess I took on a typically feminine role of cooking, but I love to cook. So there you go. Um, and uh, so we're sitting around the meal and then we sit in a circle and we're like, okay, let's go through and read our, you know, our papers that we did not like, they weren't super long. It was kind of like, what's the core idea that you took from all those readings. And before we could like start the um, a gentleman who was one of the predominantly Asian men in the room said, wait, 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 this is how this works. He said, we, we go around and we find out how old everybody is. And I was actually the oldest person in the room. And, uh, and he goes, we'll start with the oldest. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll start then. And he said, no, we start with the oldest man. 
Naomi. And I thought, oh my goodness, I did not read 16 books. I mean, it, it was an intense program. It's a doctorate, right? I did not read 16 books and prepare my papers and come to the synthesis to be told that not only would my voice not go first, but it wouldn't even be the, the way it was supposed to roll out was I was supposed to be the last voice. Oh, and <laughs> I was like, no, what do my Asian sisters who are in right. those Asian contexts, yeah. what yeah. do they live with? Yeah, no. And yes, as you mentioned, some don't need to be seen and maybe they're just faithfully, powerfully doing what God calls them to from whatever places they are. But some like I'm in seminary, right? I'm yeah. there and yeah. I'm, called, yeah. I'm supposed to be there. And, yeah. um, and so they do need to be heard. And yeah. so what would you say to women who are actually in a context yeah. where they are, that those are the cultural norms that are being put right. for? That is so challenging because what you just described is uh, a mindset that's gone 5,000 years with Confucian teaching that in Confucius teaching, when a daughter, you obey your father, when a wife, you obey your husband, when a widow, you obey your son. So women are always one down and uh, it's devastating and heartbreaking to me to think about that uh, because there's such a high honor for age, you know, I mean, that really is. And so to differentiate that, you know, not only is there like the age piece, but there's also the, you know, the fact that you're a woman and that it's like, what? like, but that's what women deal with in oftentimes. And so um, depending on the generation, you know, you have increasingly in, um, in, the, in the United States in particular, uh, when you have a, an Asian church that has first generation spoken in the, the, the language of the, um, uh, where the heritage, whatever the, the country of origin came from, in the United States, usually the second and third generation cannot relate at all to the content. It's being translated. And I, I imagine this is true in Hispanic churches as well. You know, when you have a language barrier and culturally immigrant parents are dealing with very different things than their next generation and the generation after that. So there's a huge disconnect. So to speaking to the women listening to this, who are finding themselves there, there's a couple different options really. Um, maybe more than a couple. But one is uh, trusting that God would sustain if God calls you to stay in that space and that there and needing to find other women to link arms with to be able to um, withstand that. So I imagine, Naomi, if you had had two or three other women with you, just that alone might have been able to be where you could still be the last one, but you weren't alone and you didn't feel like you were validated. You were, you had someone to go and process that whole craziness with, um, that, that, that helps. So it's like for the women who, for the woman who finds herself as the only one in those spaces, this is why it's so important to find other places where there are also women doing similar things to be able to to feel like I'm not crazy. I'm what I'm going through is understandable and all that. The other option I think is to not be in those spaces. Um, if, if it's just hurtful, damaging, demoralizing, and we're no, not even 
able to have that spark that we're talking about, it's like getting snuffed out every time, then that could be a way that the Lord is saying, hey, there are other, this is not the only end all be all. This church or this organization or this particular setting is not the only place. Like there are huge wide open fields um, of places to serve. So that could be another message that women might need to hear is that it may be okay you know, you've put in, you know, all of these years here, but it may be a time to, to move on because it's just not a space that's healthy. So I imagine you are in a program. So you know that there's an end to that. And then you can go and do all the things that come with having this degree. Uh, so that might be just a long suffering to kind of hang in there a little bit longer. But if you had to stay there the whole time, you would not be the woman and the leader that you are right now, because that environment in no way supported you. And that's where I think it's really important. And so many times women are accustomed to like, as moms, like we eat the crust of the peanut butter sandwich. Like we're eating, like, you know what I mean? It's like the core of the apple or whatever it is. It's like, um, we just know to just like, you know, give the best to everyone else. And I think there are absolute times for us to, to say, no, we're going to, we're going to eat the real, we're going to eat the whole sandwich and not just the crust. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was really a fascinating look into, you know, another culture where, where I happened to be studying did value um, in our language and in other behaviors that women and men would both be able to have, um, uh, you know, the full voice. And mm -hmm. so um, as I prayed about it, I ended up going and speaking with um, a leader at the seminary and saying, is this the intent? <laughs> or is, does it seem to align with your policies? Um, right, right. And, um, and, uh, and so that was productive. And, you know, mm -hmm. and it was just an importing of culture mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. into a place that was saying, no, we'll have a different culture. But right. then to look at what you've just said, there are women who are in cultures where their culture is going to continue to support that. And, uh, and they may indeed feel like Hagar mm -hmm. and they may need to be strengthened by who God is and the God who sees them and who yeah. is going to care for them and their, you know, their son, um, and, and still have a future and a purpose and a mission and a story through mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. So that was super helpful, Vivian. Um, well, we are nearing the end of our time and your story though, really your article really stayed with me. And um, I've been more aware of some of the questions you raised in it for me in particular, that aspect of um, when you would watch a movie or be in a room, as you've said, um, and just that, do we see ourselves? And um, and yes, there's a human element to that too. But then as Elisa and you and I have talked about, even when we don't see ourselves, um, mm -hmm. what is the God calling? who is God and who are we so that we still enter into or stand strong in or speak lovingly and truthfully in those environments. And mm -hmm. um, it's just a really powerful piece that you wrote and I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank um, you. Yeah, it was sticky, it was sticky. <laughs> in a Mission good way. accomplished, mission accomplished. <laughs> and, and I have to say like, I'm so grateful that you took the time to, to talk with someone at the seminary because that changes it for the women that come after you just the wherewithal so i do think that for us whenever we're the only or the first that 
we carry with us an understanding that we are trying to help whoever's coming up behind us to go further and farther. And um, I, that's, I think, such a, a posture that is uh, less about us, but realizing what we do is going to help people coming after us. Pulling out a chair for somebody else to come because yeah. if we can make space for one, why not try to make space for two? Yeah, yeah. And I think for women, we have to bring our A game every single time. Whereas for men, they can bring their B game and it's more acceptable. But because we're the only, if we don't do well, that could jeopardize the ability for another woman to come for a long time, like in a church setting, especially I'm thinking, um, I had a friend who is uh, Latina and she preached at a large white church and her pastor said, you know, uh, there's a reason why there've been so few women who've preached here ever. And so she felt that. And I feel that as a woman of color, like I need to do well and, and maybe unnecessarily like too much pressure, which is not healthy, but it's like, there is a sense of it's more than just me. Cause if I mess up, that may lead to, uh, you know, it just pushes us that much further back. So, um, so even acknowledging that and then being with other women who get that is so helpful. It's like, oh, I know what you're talking about. And then that validation goes a long, long way. It helps me to stay in the game. Uh, it's not a game, but it helps me to stay engaged uh, when things are hard. Well, Vivian, uh, thank you so much um, for all the wisdom that you brought with us and sharing your story. We're wondering if you could just kind of close us out with um, kind of like a life verse. Like what is the verse that is speaking to you right now in this moment? Yeah, uh, my life verse is um, from 2 Corinthians 11.3 that uh, Paul is writing um, about um, being, I'll just, I'll read it. <laughs> it's up there somewhere in a little frame, but it's really about not uh, the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. Um, that's the, the, the verse that I meditate on regularly that am I losing sight of the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ that, uh, that I'm not loving ministry more than Jesus or loving anything else more than Jesus, um, a devotion to him and, even all the things that we've been talking about, whether it's teaching or, you know, using our gifts or growing plants or whatever it is, but it's like really the bottom line is, is my devotion to Jesus uh, first yeah. and foremost. So that's my life first uh, that would not be deceived. Um, like, but that, yeah, I'm not, obviously have not memorized it, <laughs> but you get the, you get the essence of it. Right. The spirit of it. Yes. I would actually love to invite us to maybe and have our reader or our readers. We have no readers here. We may have viewers and we may have listeners, but zero readers. Uh, <laughs> but I'd love to bless our listeners and viewers by closing with maybe each of us reading a translation of that verse. Sure. I have the wonky amplified. I love the amplified, but it reads wonky. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know that we'd love to have the New Living Translation. Um, yeah, I have, I have the uh, the Christian Standard Bible okay. now. This is my newest one. I just moved from ESV to CSB now. So 
I would, I, I don't even know if I've read it in this version before, but let's do it. Okay. I'll take the new living, the new living Naomi. And, uh, yes. And then if, um, if we can just reference it one more time. So we, if second, our listeners are along. Yep. So second Corinthians 11, three. Okay. All right. Um, Elisa, how about you kick us off and then maybe also bookend us with, uh, with that. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to throw people's minds for a loop with the Amplified. <laughs> All right. Second <laughs> right. Corinthians 11, three, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Mm-hmm. Second Corinthians 11, three. But I am afraid that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, your minds may be corrupted and led away from the simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Second mm-hmm. Corinthians 11.3 in the Christian Standard Bible version is, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right, and let's close out. I'm just gonna lead us in prayer and then Elisa, if you could um, could end up with that verse again, we'll close out on God's word. It's life-giving, life-changing word that helps us renew and remember and also discover are um, the stories that we're here for. So um, thank you, Vivian, for sharing yours. I really appreciated it today. So, All right, Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for stories that uh, <laughs> have surprising elements like being put in a police car uh, at age four and but discovering a birthday party that was super fun um, that have uh, surprising elements like Hagar's where she was not seen or even named by the main, uh, the people who are the supposedly the main characters in the story, and yet she becomes um, uh, the person who uh, gives you a name, and then also who becomes the mother of a nation, mm-hmm. and lives very boldly. God, um, I thank you for this um, life verse of just being able to be simply and, and purely devoted to you. And we just close with your word, and uh, thank you, God, as we listen to Elisa reading it. The second Corinthians 11, three from the new living translation, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. God, we just want to have pure and undivided devotion. So please strengthen us as we go forth on this day. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everybody for joining us for the Every Woman's Story with Stonecroft podcast as we celebrate the the fact that every one of us has an invitation to sit at Jesus's table and there we can discover our purpose and our story as we look at God's story. Thanks for being with us. God bless you as you go forward into your story today.